Okay, good evening and welcome to the June 21st, 2023 meeting of the San Francisco Board of Appeals. President Rick Swig will be the presiding officer tonight and he is joined by Vice President Jose Lopez, Commissioner Alex Lumberg, Commissioner John Trisvina, and Commissioner J.R. Epler. Also present is Deputy City Attorney Jen Huber, who will provide the board with any needed legal advice. At the controls is the board's legal assistant, Alec Longway, and I'm Julie Rosenberg, the board's executive director. We will also be joined by representatives from the city departments that will be presenting before the board this evening. And tonight we just have Corey Teague, the zoning administrator, representing the planning department. The board meeting guidelines are as follows. The board requests that you turn off or silence all phones and other electronic devices so they will not disturb the proceedings. No eating or drinking in the hearing room. The rules of presentation are as follows. Appellants, permit holders, and department respondents each are given seven minutes to present their case and three minutes for a rebuttal. People affiliated with these parties must include their comments within the seven or three minute periods. Members of the public who are not affiliated with the parties have to, up to three minutes each to address the board and no rebuttal. Mr. Longway, our legal assistant, will give you a verbal warning 30 seconds before your time is up. Four votes are required to grant an appeal or to modify a permit or determination. If you have questions about requesting a rehearing, the board rules or hearing schedules, please email board staff at boardofappeals at sfgov.org. Now, public access and participation are of paramount importance to the board. SFGovTV is broadcasting and streaming this hearing live, and we will have the ability to receive public comment for each item on today's agenda. SFGovTV is also providing closed caption for this meeting. To watch the hearing on TV, go to SFGovTV cable channel 78. Please note that it will be rebroadcast on Fridays at 4 p.m. on channel 26. A link to the live stream is found on the homepage of our website at sfgov.org forward slash BOA. Now, public comment can be provided in three ways. One, in person. Two, via Zoom. Go to our website and click on the hearing link. Three, by telephone. Call 1-669-900-6833 and enter webinar ID 845-0737-5797. And again, TV is broadcasting and streaming the phone number and access instructions across the bottom of the screen if you're watching the live stream or broadcast. To block your phone number when calling in, first dial star six seven, then the phone number. Listen for the public comment portion for your item to be called and dial star nine, which is the equivalent of raising your hand so that we know you want to speak. You will be brought into the hearing when it is your turn. You may have to dial star six to unmute yourself. You will, <coughs> you will have three minutes. Our legal assistant will provide you with a verbal warning 30 seconds before your time is up. Please note that there is a delay between the live proceedings and what is broadcast and live streamed on TV and the internet. Therefore, it's very important that people calling in reduce or turn off the volume on their TVs or computers, otherwise there is interference with the meeting. If any of the participants or attendees on Zoom need a disability accommodation or technical assistance, you can make a request in the chat function to Alec Longway, the board's legal assistant, or send an email to boardofappeals at sfgov.org. Now, the chat function cannot be used to provide public comment or opinions. Please note that we will take public comment first from those members of the public who are physically present in the hearing room. Now, we will swear and affirm all those who intend to testify. Please note that any member of the public may speak without taking an oath pursuant to their rights under the Sunshine Ordinance. If you intend to testify at any of tonight's proceedings and wish to have the board give your testimony evidentiary weight, raise your right hand and say, I do, after you've been sworn in or affirmed. Do you swear or affirm that the testimony you're about to give will be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Okay, thank you. If you're a participant and you're not speaking, please put your Zoom speaker on mute. So commissioners, we have three housekeeping items. Uh, number one, item number four, 
This is appeal number 23-018 at 485 to 485A Day Street has been withdrawn by the appellant, so that won't be heard. And item 6A, this is appeal number 19-139 at 2861 to 2865 San Bruno Avenue. The appellant has withdrawn that appeal, so it will not be heard. And lastly, item 6B, this is appeal number 20-036, also at 2861 to 2865 San Bruno. The parties would like that matter continued to July 26, so we would need a vote to continue that item. Do you have a motion, Commissioner? Uh, yes, so move to uh, continue until July 26th, you yes. said? Yeah, yes, July 26th. Okay, is there any public comment on that motion? Please raise your hand. No one is in the hearing room. I don't see any public comment. So on that motion to continue this item, uh, Vice President Lopez. Aye. Commissioner Trezvina. Aye. Commissioner Epler. Aye. President Swig. Aye. So that motion carries five to zero and that appeal is continued. So we have one item on our agenda. This is item number five, appeal number 23-017, 1281 to 1283 Greenwich Street Property, LLC versus the Zoning Administrator. Subject property, 1281 to 1280. Oh, I'm sorry, we do have a few more items. Yeah, I we, just went I straight was, from I housekeeping was, I was to- I was wondering there. I wanted to get <clears throat> to work, sorry. Okay, <laughs> let's go to item number one, general public comment. Uh, this is, it throws me when we have those housekeeping items. Okay, this is, item one is general public comment. This is an opportunity for anyone who'd like to speak on a matter within the board's jurisdiction, but that is not on tonight's calendar. Is anyone here who would like to provide general public comment? Please raise your hand. Okay, I don't see any. So item number two, commissioner comments and questions. Commissioners, any comments, questions? Giants going for a 10th game winning streak? I don't know. Okay. So we'll move on to item number three, the adoption of the minutes. Commissioners before you for discussion, possible adoption of the minutes of the June 7th, 2023 meeting. I move to adopt the minutes as presented. Okay, is there any public comment on the motion to adopt the minutes? Please raise your hand. I don't see any public comment. So on Commissioner Trezvener's motion to adopt, Vice President Lopez? Aye. Commissioner Lemberg? Aye. Commissioner Epler? Aye. President Swig? Aye. Okay, that motion carries five to zero and the minutes are adopted. And as I said before, item number four has been withdrawn. So now we are on item number five, appeal number 23-017, 1281 to 1283 Greenwich Street Property, LLC versus Zoning Administrator, subject property 1281 to 1283 Greenwich Street, appealing the issuance on April 6, 2023 of a violation and penalty decision. Planning department records indicate that the subject property is currently authorized for two family dwelling unit use and the violation pertains to the unauthorized merger of the dwelling units in violation of planning code section 317. Additionally, work was conducted without the required permits in violation of Planning Code Section 175. This is complaint number 2022-007739. Note, on May 31st, 2023, upon motion by Commissioner Trezvina, the board voted 5-0 to, to continue this item to June 21st, 2023, at the request of the parties. And so we will hear from the appellant first, and the appellant's represented by Mr. Merritt. Uh, welcome. You have seven minutes. Before we start, can I fix, uh, just do one housekeeping thing, Julie? Sure. Um, the minutes we just passed, uh, the adoption of minutes is actually misnumbered as number seven. It should be number three, and I just caught that. Okay. Um, it's a very minor edit, but. I'm sorry, what should be changed? This is for the minutes from last meeting. Um, it is misnumbered, so it goes number one, two, and then seven. 
I see. Thank you so much. We'll, we'll make that correction. Thank, Thank you. you. Appreciate it. Okay, so apologies, Mr. Merritt. Um, please go ahead. You have seven minutes. Uh, thank you, and good evening, commissioners. I'd like to share a PowerPoint presentation. So if you could give me a second here while I try to share my screen. We'll pause time. Can everyone see that PowerPoint? Yes. Great. Okay, as I said, I'm Alex Merritt from Shepherd Mullen. I'm representing the property owners and appellants. Uh, there's a lot of history in the record and in the briefing, but the short story is this. My clients bought a single-family home on Russian Hill. The planning department now says it's actually a duplex. They found a code violation and essentially ordered the home to be partitioned. We disagree, and this appeal presents a narrow issue for the board to decide, which is, does the property have a valid dwelling unit merger? And the answer is yes. In 2015, the zoning administrator administratively approved a dwelling unit merger for the property. That approval was not appealed. It does not expire. And it's now vested under common law principles. And therefore, we think the decision should be reversed. <clears throat> First, a little bit more on how we got here. Um, in 2020, my clients bought the property in good faith for $18 million. Um, it was marketed and sold as a single-family home, and here's a small excerpt of some of the marketing materials in real estate press, all of which showed a single-family home. The full materials are hyperlinked in our brief and were attached as exhibits to our brief, and in particular, I'd encourage you to take a look at the 3D video of the property, which showed this very clearly. Uh, my clients were not aware at the time they purchased of any potential code or permit issues. Uh, then last summer, uh, anonymous neighbor filed a code complaint and planning open an enforcement case for an unauthorized merger. The Lees retained us. Uh, and we've spent a lot of time trying to figure out what happened here. Um, here is our view of what happened. In May 2015, the ZA issued an action memo administratively approving a dwelling unit, dwelling unit merger on the property. Uh, this is a screenshot of the relevant portion of the memo. It reflects an authorized administrative approval, the building permit application proposing the merger of two dwelling units within a two-unit building resulting in a single-family home. But it's important to note that at this time in 2015, the approval fully complied with the planning code. Um, at that time, the rules on mergers were more relaxed and it allowed the planning department to administratively approve mergers subject to certain findings, uh, basically that the units being merged were not affordable housing. And this was a discretionary land use approval. The ZA considered the factors and the evidence, including appraisals. He exercised his judgment and he made a decision to grant the approval. <clears throat> The 2015 approval is now final and remains valid. First, it hasn't expired. There's no expiration date on the face of the approval and there's no expiration date under the code. Second, there was no appeal. The approval was subject to appeal. And here is the general appeal provision applicable to written ZA determinations, providing for a 15-day appeal period for any written determination of the ZA. Here, nobody appealed and the, the action memo became final. And then third, the approval is now vested under common law rules. Uh, these are set forth in the cases we cited in our brief, the Avco case, Fort Bragg, <clears throat> Party Construction. Um, the gist of the argument is that the appellants and the developer who did the remodel of this house relied on the merger and spent money and reliance on it, and therefore the city can't now take it away. I would note that the ZA has not responded to the vested rights argument uh, in his brief. 
Instead, the zoning administrator makes two arguments, both of which are wrong as a matter of law. Uh, first, the city throughout this proceeding has taken the position that the dwelling unit merger should now be barred by code changes, uh, but that's not correct. Um, since May 15, 2015, it's true that the city changed the planning code and eliminated the administrative approval pathway for merger, but the interim controls took effect in July 2015 after our approval became final, and the permanent controls took effect in April 2016, long after our approval became final. <clears throat> the new rules are not retroactive, and in fact, they're expressly not retroactive. Here's the relevant portion of section 317C3, um, and you can see what it says, the removal of a residential unit that has received administrative approval prior to the effective date is not required to apply for an additional approval. So these code changes are expressly not retroactive. We already had an administrative approval in the 2015 memo. We're not required to go back and get any additional <clears throat> approval. And planning staff have consistently misunderstood that. Um, here are a few excerpts of some of the notes. This was really the genesis of the entire confusion in the case. When the new controls came out, the planning staff had a meeting and they decided that those controls must apply retroactively to the project when in fact they didn't. Um, and what led to from there is that the planning department essentially reached out to the applicant, the developer and his contractors basically gave them incorrect advice that the that the code has changed and they can no longer have this approval even though it had already been granted and so they purported to withdraw the application um, <clears throat> that of course had no effect because the approval had already been granted the withdrawal of the application was a nullity uh, the approval was already final and in effect and then the second argument here here's some more demonstrating the, the planning staff's confusion about the retroactivity point. The second argument raised by the ZA is that some further building permit was required to effectuate the entitlement. Um, essentially that the action memo doesn't mean anything, it was just some documentation for the file, and it doesn't take effect unless and until the city issues a further building permit. There's no legal basis for that in the code. The ZA in his brief says that it's a requirement of the planning code and the building code but tellingly does not cite to any specific provision. Um, it's also contrary to standard land use practice. Let's say, for example, the city issues a conditional use authorization. <clears throat> that approval becomes final when the appeal period runs. It doesn't hang open until all the construction permits are issued. And then once the building permit is issued, somebody, a neighbor, can go back and appeal the conditional use authorization. That's just not how land use practice works. It's entitlements first, permits second. Um, and so in conclusion, the ZA granted this approval. It's final. It hasn't been appealed. It doesn't expire under your code. It's vested under common law principles and can't be revoked. So the fact that the building permit that's on file doesn't reflect the one unit building, uh, the solution there is the applicants or the appellants should apply for a new building permit that reflects the as-built single-family home. The answer is not for the city to take the home away. Thank you. That's time. Thank you. We have questions from President Swig, then Commissioner Trisvina, and then Commissioner Lemberg. Just a, a very simple question. Um, and I've sat on this commission for many years, <clears throat> and it's been reiterated to me over and over again when we've had similar cases that have similar discussion about the combination of, of two units into one that is just not something that's possible to do in the city of San Francisco. 
Um, but, uh, but what was confusing to me in this case is 1281, 1283 Greenwich Street, um, using the, you know, the old story that quacks like a duck and looks like a duck, it must be a duck. Uh, one of the why, if it's a if it's a one unit building, why is it 1281, 1283 Greenwich, which would indicate two units? Sure. Well, there's no question that it used to be two units, and I agree with you. It would be impossible to get a dwelling unit merger approved today. But in 2014, 2015, when this was approved, that was not the case. At that time, it was still possible to get a dwelling unit merger, and it could be done administratively. The ZA could do it. It didn't even have to go to the Planning Commission on a CU authorization. And so that's what hap what's happened here. The fact that the address hasn't been updated, I, mean, I assume nobody has gone down to uh, yeah, the post office or the building department, whoever is responsible for street numbers, and updated the street number for the home. But we don't think that's dispositive of the legal issue. Um, and in fact, you know, there are a number of properties in San Francisco I've seen that have unusual street numbering that's holdover from previous property configurations. So that I, I don't think is, is a real issue in the case. Commissioner Trezino. Uh, thank, thank you, President Swiggin, and thank you for your presentation. I have a couple of questions, and I'm, I thank you for your, for your brief. Uh, and on, on page eight, you talk about um, the zoning administrator's view of your of your position was that well it's a very little a very literal reading of the code, and you say well that's what you expect. I mentioned that in the context of page three of the 2015 determination, uh, because it, which is on page 42 or 43 of the of the materials that, you, that have been submitted as part of the record, and in the findings. The last sentence in the second to last paragraph says, uh, the code exempts the most, ex I'll read the whole sentence, because a major intent of planning code section 317 is to preserve existing sound housing stock and thus conserve its affordability, the code exempts the most expensive single family homes from the hearing requirements pertaining to this code section. Doesn't that mean that the action granted by the zoning administrator is simply that exemption from further hearing proposals and not an absolute merger? No, we don't read it that way. If you went back and looked at planning code section 317, essentially what it did is it established different uh, approval pathways. One is an administrative approval pathway by the planning department uh, where the, the units are economically inaccessible. Essentially, they're not affordable units. Therefore, they can be approved with a lower level of review and a lower level of scrutiny. The zoning administrator takes the evidence, looks at the appraisals, and makes that determination and issues the approval at the staff level. Um, at that time, uh, where the units were not financially inaccessible, there was a greater level of review. Um, it would either go up to the Planning Commission for mandatory discretionary review, or it could go to the Planning Commission for conditional use authorization. Um, so at that time in 2015, you know, there very much was an administrative approval pathway in the code, uh, and that, that code section is attached to our brief as well. The other question, I had, in terms of uh, the um, inspections and, and, and knowledge of the city, um, there's a lot is described about the wall that was removed. 
making it one large uh, unit. Can you, do you know how, do you know when that occurred? I do not. Uh, we have no information about that. When my clients bought the home, there was no wall, there was no partition between these two units. Um, and again, if you go look at the marketing materials, the listing photos, you will see that. Um, I'm not sure whether it was ever installed, whether it was installed and removed by the developer. I don't know how it was inspected, how it was approved. The planning history, the permitting history is frankly very confusing. We spent several months requesting records from DBI we asked planning to go through its files. We've reviewed everything. There's a lot of confusion around what happened here and how this single family home was built, given that the permit, some of the permits anyway, showed that it was gonna be two units to remain. So there's just not a clear answer to that question. Obviously, some mistake or something happened along the way, but we don't know what it was. And it certainly was not my client's fault. They, they bought the property as a single family home. Well, I, I, I appreciate the position your clients are in, uh, as you've described. Are you in a position to know or surmise as to when the city knew that it was one rather than two? I don't. I'm, I'm not in a position to say that. Okay. Thank you. Yep. Commissioner Lemberg. Thank you. Um, thank you, Mr. Merritt. I have a couple of digging in a little deeper questions here. Um, sure. First of all, which... I'm looking at the at the uh, the notice of violation that lists kind of all the permits. First of all, I just want to ask: are, are, is from your client's perspective, is this back the the, the background section of the uh, notice of violation uh, document accurate uh, as to the permits that you believe have been uh, taken out on this property? I cannot speak to that as I sit here. I assume that it's that it's accurate or mostly accurate. I know we had identified some other permitting materials um, and plan sets that did reflect still the merged unit, and I'm not sure those are reflected in here. Um, but ultimately, the argument that we're raising is not about the plan sets and the permitting history. We understand that there's a problem there. Our point is that the city has approved a dwelling unit merger there's a mistake in the permitting and the permitting doesn't reflect that. And so the solution is to go back and fix the permit. You essentially have a vested land use entitlement that says the units can be merged. And so now we just need to go back and get a corrective building permit that reflects the single unit. How then do we, do we address the, uh, the part where it says on November 12th, 2015, building permit application 2014-017-9272, which is the one that is the subject of most of this, I believe, because that's where the uh, the merger approval came from. Um, I'm seeing it there in big capital letters. Note, dwelling unit merger is not permitted under this permit to dwelling units to remain. How How are we supposed to get past that, I guess? Yeah, I mean, that that's exactly the issue, right? The permits do show, many of them do show that two units are to remain. That was based on a misunderstanding from the planning staff about the retroactivity of the new legislation. So it was an erroneous view that they had. And the reality is this single family home was built and the land use entitlement, which sits above the building permits, does reflect one unit. And so, yes, there's a problem with the building permit that's on file. And the way that you fix that is for us to submit a new building permit that reflects one unit consistent with the authorized dwelling unit merger. Um, the solution is not to require the property to be partitioned. My problem then is, 
it seems uncontested that that permit was withdrawn in 2017. So how, again, how are we supposed to get past that point where the permit that under which the, uh, the previous owners purportedly were able to merge the property was withdrawn and therefore presumably not completed. The work that was, uh, that was described in the permit theoretically wasn't completed then, is that right? I no, and I wanna draw a distinction there between the entitlement, which is the dwelling unit merger and the building permit application. Yes, the, the, the building permit application was withdrawn. Planning staff went to the developer's contractor and said, we've had this change in our code. This can no longer be approved. You've gotta get rid of it. And so they said, okay, we'll withdraw. But at that point, the appeal period for the ZA's approval had already expired. That 15-day appeal period had run, which means that the land use entitlement had become final. Um, so at that point, you know, the withdrawing the application was a nullity. There was an actual approval in hand. So yes, he wrote back by email, misinformed, and said, we'll withdraw our application. Um, but the fact of the matter is, a final approval had already been issued, and so there was nothing to withdraw. There was no pending application at that time. So it is confusing, but we think that withdrawal was essentially a nullity because the approval had already been granted. And then beyond that, it was based on this misinformation from the planning staff. Um, I think that's all I've got for now. I'll pass it to President Twig. I think Commissioner Schwarzenegger hit it on the nose, but I'll ask it in a different way. How, how did- Is your the, microphone on, President Twig? Yes, okay. my mic's on. I'm just being demure today, I guess. I, I know you find it hard to believe. Um, so how did the wall come down? How did these units, two units, become one without a permit? Yeah, that's a great question. And I don't Wait, 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 Councilor, not finished yet. Uh, how did these units become one without a permit? How did your clients buy a house in a full disclosure state where, you know, if you don't disclose something, you're, you're, you're in trouble as a, a, a real estate agent? I mean, it's against the law. And so how did two units become one without a permit? And, and how did your clients spend uh, a little bit of money buying a, 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 a significant building and not do the due diligence to find out how did two units become one when those two units weren't, were, were two units all along until they were anticipated to be separated into two units by a permit that was canceled and never implemented. That's kind of the squirrely part for me. Sure. So as your first question, how did the wall get removed? Mm. We don't know the answer to that because my clients had no involvement in that. I, when, they the, I when they bought the home. I, this, is, this, is, this is not a good answer, sir. It's not a good answer. Well, I, I'm not going to accept it because that's, the, how, gee whiz, how did you get that bloody nose? Well, I think I either got punched or I fell on my face, but I really well, don't know. Let, I mean, let, come let on. Me, I think the answer to your second question may help explain it. So, of course, we did get the real estate disclosures. My clients got the real estate disclosures as part of the sale. And the real estate disclosures said 
No, no units had been unlawfully merged or demolished, that all work had been done according to lawfully issued permits. Um, this was a complete remodel, complete renovation, ground up of the building. And the disclosures did reflect that it was a single family home and that all permits had been obtained. And so, of course, my clients had no reason to go back, request you know, files from DBI to uncover this issue at that time. They took the representations in the disclosure packet as true. Now, to your question about how the, how the wall was removed, I think there's two, two possibilities. One is that the developer of the property never installed it, and somehow it passed inspection anyway because there was all this confusion in the file about whether it was one unit or two. Or two, the developer built it with the wall, passed inspection, and then removed it before selling it. Uh, but, but again, we don't know because we, we didn't develop it. My clients came in after the project had been fully built and just purchased it. They weren't involved in the development of it at all. And there's nothing in the record that I've seen that answers that question. Well, Corey may have more information about it. So this presents a real big problem <clears throat> that I think we'll probably investigate later, is how did a wall disappear and without a permit? And how did two units, how did two units become one w without a permit? And, uh, and th this, this is, regardless of whether your clients knew this or not, um, makes no difference whatsoever. The, the question here is, how did two units become one without a permit? When did it happen? And if it did happen illegally, you seem like you might have a hell of a, a, hell of a lawsuit against somebody who sold you a very expensive house. So, uh, but we'll investigate that later. Um, I, I think it's somebody else's turn. Okay, thank you. I don't see any further questions, so we'll now hear from the zoning administrator. All right, good evening, President Swig, Commissioners, Corey Teague, Zoning Administrator for the Planning Department. Um, I, I uh, respectfully disagree with the appellant. I, I don't think this is a confusing situation. Um, I think the record is actually quite clear. Um, I appreciate the situation that the appellant and their client find themselves in, but I think this is a little bit of a silver bullet argument, um, is looking into the past in a completely different context than how things actually played out. Um, so in the brief, I tried to lay out kind of a very linear timeline argument of everything that happened. I think there's some really important points to pull out of that. And again, I think this is a fairly straightforward situation, but I think based on the arguments that have been made, there's a lot of technical questions that may come up and I'm happy to answer any of those. But kind of getting to the question you were raising, the record's clear. There's nothing in the record to indicate that it's one unit. Um, every permit, every CFC from DBI, the 3R report, the tax assessor's data, everything except for the listing of the home um, when it was sold, very clearly says it was two units. Um, so to the extent that the buyers who own it now had some concerns about all that documentation, even though it was listed as a single family home, I can't, I can't answer that question, but the record is extremely clear there. Um, and it's not just clear in a kind of a passive way, it's clear in a very active way because the original proposal was to merge the units, um, and the basically you know the the laws in the city changed. It would have required a conditional use authorization that was communicated to the applicant at that time. The applicant chose not to go that route, um, and just to purely speculate, um, part of the rationale was that at that time these types of mergers weren't getting approved and weren't being supported. Not that it was impossible, but it was at a time when 
losing these units was very hard to get approved. So it's very clear on the record that the applicant at that time switched gears, withdrew their merger application. They amended their building permit very specifically to not be a merger, to keep it to units. They changed the cost of construction down significantly from what it was originally proposed to be. So the record was very clear that the, in, the property owner at that time very clearly understood that the, there was no authorization for a merger. They moved forward with a renovation permit that was for two units. Um, there was a subsequent variance that was issued too, all very clearly for two units. All the plans show it as two units. As I laid out in my brief, the only set of plans in the record that I could find that actually showed that wall being removed. And to be clear, not showing the scope of work to remove that wall, just showing the existing state of that wall being removed was a sprinkler permit that had nothing to do with the rest and so was not reviewed um, by um, planning department at all. Um, that's the only place in the record I can find where it actually shows on the plans, even though that permit still says two units, on the plans it shows that wall being removed. Does that mean the wall had been removed at that point? We can't really know. Um, but the record is very straightforward. So clearly the appellant's focus is on this zoning administrator action memo. Um, I think it's really important to understand a few things about that. One, the planning code does not even require that the, plan, that the zoning administrator make this call. It doesn't require that zoning action memos even be issued. We do them, we started doing them in 2011 purely as housekeeping because the provisions of the code started expanding and more kind of administrative decisions were left to the zoning administrator. And we wanted to make sure that if and when questions about, well, did the, did the zoning administrator think about this? Did the ZA actually make this call? Um, why'd they make that call? If it came up as part of a future appeal or just for our own record keeping purposes, we'd have that documentation. Again, it's not required in the code at all, but we do it for that purpose. The other thing, and this is called out specifically in that action memo, is the only determination that was made there was um, a waiver from the mandatory discretionary review process. You know, before, before the code changed, the way it worked, as it was called out, is um, dwelling unit merger was a mandatory discretionary review. You had to go to planning commission. Not as a CU, but as a DR. But there was a price out option. Essentially, if the home was just very unaffordable, right? So in the um, top 20% evaluation, essentially, it was so unaffordable that it just, it was fine to do the de demolition or merger without doing that. Um, the only thing this memo did was confirm that based on the appraisal and the other work that we had done to set those values, that this home was appraised at a value high enough where that merger would not, would, would be eligible for a waiver from the mandatory DR process. But even with that waiver, the permit was still required. The city still had full discretion. A neighbor could have filed DR on the merger. It could have gone to the, we could have staff initiated a DR. All of that, all that um, memo did was document the fact that the permit qualified for the waiver from the mandatory DR process. That's literally the only thing it did. Um, you know, the appellant raised kind of the issue with the CUs and like the difference between the entitlement and the permit. You know, if you get a CU to build something, the CU has a time period, a performance period, in which time you have to get a permit issued and that permit has to get 
completed to actually do that work. Um, that, that conditional use authorization doesn't live forever. Um, and it, it's really important, I think, to know that there's this backwards look and trying to use state law to grasp onto this memo to say that, in effect, it's a legal merger. You know, the, the owner at the time had no expectation that they were that they had a legal merger. The city certainly didn't communicate that to them in any way, and clearly it wasn't communicated to the city oh, that the intent was to uh, merge the units without a permit going forward. So, to conclude, I think this is actually a very straightforward situation. I understand the situ the the situation the appellants are in, but the record is extremely clear and we have a fundamental disagreement on the nature of that zoning administrator action memo. Um, so we think the NOV was appropriately issued uh, and is correct and respectfully request that you deny the appeal, but available for any questions you may have. Thank you. Thank you, we have questions from President Swig, Commissioner Lumber, Commissioner Epler, and Commissioner Trisvigna. So, <clears throat> appellants counsel, the um, ways seems to weigh heavily on which came first, the chicken or the egg, uh, and that is um, land use overrules the, the the permit issuance or any permit that was issued subsequent to some level of entitlement. So, um, can you further delve into that? So if 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 I had a, uh, if I got an entitlement before I got my permit, uh, should I, it, it was, is it possible that I got an entitlement to do something like this before I got my permit? And would that initial assumption of that entitlement um, be guaranteed to be actualized in the permit? So I'm almost hesitant to even go down that road because there is no entitlement involved in this situation. Um, because and, and the zoning, you might, is, you might explain. Yeah, I was going to say I'm going to get. I'm going to no do it. I'm hesitant to do it, but I was explaining why I was hesitant to do it because it's it's not even relevant to this case because there was no entitlement here. There was no CU. There was no mandatory DR. The ZA action memo in no way was an entitlement. But to answer your question, if you get a conditional use authorization today based on the code as it exists today, typically you're going to get a three-year performance period, which means within three years you've got to get a building permit issued to effectuate that CU. Let's say... So it's not in perpetuity. It's not in perpetuity. Um, but even more than that, let's say you get the CU today based on the code that exists today. A year passes. You haven't gotten your permit yet, and the code changes. And it changes in a way now that like what you want to do is just not permitted. Unless the planning code was amended in a way that included some kind of grandfathering provision, you're out of luck because we're law of the day. So we can't issue a building permit unless on that day it's being issued, it is fully compliant with all the requirements of the municipal code that day. Um, and so, there, there is this kind of chain, right? There's the entitlement, and then you have a certain amount of time, and there's responsibilities that you have to, you have to complete certain actions to effectuate that. Um, otherwise, that entitlement is kicked back to the planning commission to either extend or revoke. Um, but again, that's not really the case here because there's really no possible way to view the zoning administrator action memo as an entitlement. It was purely a, a procedural waiver that was a 
tiny piece of the overall permit review. But even if it was, you're saying that by the time the permit. permit was issued, there was no, in the, in the new code, there was no uh, grandfathering of any kind, and therefore all bets were off once that code changes. The only nuance I would say there, the appellant raised, there was, when the code was, was amended, there was a grandfathering provision for projects that had been approved by a certain time. Um, and the appellant's making the case that the ZA, ZA action memo was an, an overarching approval of the merger. And the point I made in my brief is that that's just not the case. All, the only thing that action memo did, and if you read it and see what it's referencing, it's literally just to, for that saying that permit is not required to go get a DR. Um, it didn't approve it. Like the planning department would have still had the ability to do a staff initiated DR. Someone, a neighbor could have um, requested a DR. The department could have denied it. The planning commission could have denied it. So it wasn't an overarching approval in any way, shape, or form. Okay, um, following on my question before to the appellant, um, there, and help me with this, please. Um, when was the renovation permit, renovation permit that made uh, what uh, the major renovation that was done <coughs> When, when, when was that actualized? When was that? Let's look at the timeline here. Because there's a 2014 permit, because that was the original permit that came in. It was going to be the merger. Right. And then they, you know, because of all of that history, they changed. It's not a merger. It's just going to be renovation. And let's see, that was the 2014 72 permit. And that was completed in. That permit was um, completed. So all the work was done, inspected, finaled out in um, November of 2019. Okay. Was there a wall there? Well, so I can't answer that. I don't know. I don't know well, what uh, was inspected. It, I mean, there was no authorization for there not to be a wall there at that time. And the CFC from this permit, so you, know, you have to have, go through all your inspections and then you get your certificate of final completion. That CFC very clearly is for two units. So, I mean, the the Department of Building Inspections position upon completion of this permit was that this is a two-unit building. Is there any plans uh, that you've seen on file for, I mean, this is a major renovation, so this isn't just a little over-the-counter uh, situation. Uh, are there any plans on file that showed anything um, related to a, a, a wall that would come down and bring the two uh, units together? No. So. The way it's laid out, and I'm sorry, I don't have plans, but I, you know, I have access to the plans through DBI system. I can't share them publicly because of copyright okay. issues, and so the property owner can. Right. Um, but all the plans show there's kind of a, a dual entry. I mean, you go in one side, it's one unit. You go in the other side, it leads immediately to stairs that go upstairs to the other unit. And, but of course, that's all on the same floor, and that stairway up to the upper unit is just separated by a wall from that on that ground floor. Um, all of the plans, save one set, you know, show that wall there. There was never, you know, the, there was never any approval to remove that wall. As I mentioned, the only permit, the only plan set in the record that I could find that shows that wall missing was this 2017 sprinkler permit. And again, that permit was not kind of saying the existing is there and the proposed is to take it away. 
it just showed the existing and the existing state that it showed was that that wall wasn't there. But that wasn't kind of called out in any specific way because it, again, it was just a sprinkler permit. So, so, so the, the final inspection that, that allowed a CFC uh, were, were based on a wall that was there that separated the, the two units. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Um, and you know, final, final, again, redundant to my previous question. Uh, you know, the, like I said, the, I looked at the, the picture of the building and there's two addresses. And uh, two addresses would indicate two units. And so that goes to the looks like a duck, quacks like a duck, but suddenly somebody says it's not a duck, it's something completely different. What, what is it as simple as council reference, oh, somebody just forgot to go to the post office and change the, the address or what, no, I mean, I think the, I mean, I think the appellant is has been upfront about the fact that the record is kind of clear that there's two units, um, and addressing is done through DBI. So, if all your permits say two units, your addressing is going to be two units, um, and um, and the light. I mean, there's two kitchens still there. I mean, the only thing that's really been done is that interior wall was taken down and it was marketed as a single family home. That those are the only two things that are kind of a single family context. Everything else, the entire record is that it's two units. Right, so according to the, the, the city at, at no point has recognized that the city, just in, in summary, the, the, did the city do a final inspection on the renovation based on two units and two units only? Absolutely. Uh, did the is the addressing on the building reflecting a accurately that there are that it is a two unit building? Yeah, there there were two addresses before all this permitting. There still is, you know, they even pointed out in the in the brief that the the LLC owner it's it's both addresses. I mean, there's yeah, I don't. There's very little in the record to indicate there's anything other than two units. So. So that that wall, at some it didn't it, it disappeared at some point. Yep. And so, um, what? It, I don't know if it's a fair question. You can deny to answer the question. Give you permission on this one. Uh, but it, is it is it is it some strong possibility that after that uh, that renovation was completed as a two-unit building with two separate addresses that a, a, a a contractor working for a developer just might have come in and re removed conveniently that wall and and started a marketing process as a single family uh, house. Yeah, I mean, I can only put together what's known, which is there was a wall there. <laughs> None of the permits called for it to be removed, but at some point before they started marketing it, the wall was gone, and they marketed it as a single-family home. So somebody committed a fraud, in your view? Yeah, I mean, it had the, the wall had to be physically removed. It wasn't a situation where it didn't exist before, and then they were supposed to put it back, and they just didn't put it back. It, it was there, and then it was removed. Right. Thank you very much. I'll uh, uh, defer to sure. Commissioner Lemberg. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Teague. I, um, I want to be very clear. I, I, I don't think this question is dispositive in any way. I, I think the record before us is pretty clear regarding what is being appealed before this body today. Um, 
I, my question is, is somewhat along the lines of what President Swig was asking. So we, I'm, I'm looking at your timeline again, which was very helpful and very thorough. Um, and it looks like the CFC was signed off on November 22nd, 2019. Um, and then the per property was purchased by the current owners on January 10th, 2020, which is less than two months uh, between. And presumably that's at the end of some escrow period. I, I don't know if that's the day the, the deed was signed. And if so, that means uh, it was sold at least 30 days prior, most likely. I, I'm guessing here. But um, do we have it in the record that the CFC showed that wall not being, or that wall being there still? So that's a little bit challenging because the CFC doesn't have, you know, to have the CFC issue their inspections of what's there and they should be matching what the plans were. Right. Right. And then the CFC is issued. Um, so I, I can't really speculate if the if it went out there and the inspector just missed it because it was kind of like this little wall separating them and it wasn't kind of, it wasn't like a major thing sticking out from a life safety issue. Mm -hmm. Or if, you know, an hour after the inspector leaves, someone came in and took it down. I don't know which one it was. There's not really any clear way in the record to be able to make that call. Okay. Yeah, I mean, just the, the timeline that we're talking about is so short that it seems improbable, not impossible, but improbable that they took it down between November 22nd and, say, December 10th, which is like two and a half weeks. And the appellant may have dated marketing materials that have pictures and so clearly if you have dated marketing materials the home for sale that's prior to the cfc right that would help answer that question i haven't done that level of review to answer that question so i don't know for sure okay thank you yeah i the reason i'm asking is not i i, I honestly don't think it's dispositive on the, the this appeal itself um but i'm trying to throw a little bit of a softball to the appellant council who i think do have uh, recourse here i just don't think it's necessarily to us so uh and and these sorts of questions would definitely be helpful for them getting some sort of justice because i do think they are entitled to that maybe just not here thank you thank you thank commissioner you. Epler. Sure. I'm, I'm going to be slightly redundant with some of what you've already said, but I want to kind of arrange it a little bit differently and, and you know, help help enhance my understanding of the situation. So so I see I see your memo and, and I see that your memo authorizes administrative approval, which I take to mean you say, yes, you can go through administrative approval on this merger. When does administrative approval happen? So when we use the term administrative approval in the code and in our documentation, that's basically a reference to like no entitlement is required. That generally means it's a permit process. Um, administrative means it just happens within the confines of the department. It doesn't involve the planning commission. It doesn't require a variance, et cetera. So when we say something is done administratively for a project review, um, we're saying that's being done as part of the building permit review. And I believe the that's why the um, the memo goes into that. It's very clearly saying that this is an action on that permit. It's part of the uh, review of that specific building permit. Okay. So so you file the permits and then the merger would be administratively approved at that time. So if you file the permit, right, so they kind of, if, if you're thinking of order of operation, they file the permit for a merger, the planning code puts a fork in the road and says the main road is you have to go to the planning commission, mandatory DR. But 
if your home is valued or your building property is valued at a certain level, you can take a right turn and go down this other path where you're not required to go to the planning commission. And that, you know, that memo is basically saying which path this permit is authorized to take. So they were authorized to take that path of not having to automatically go to the planning commission. Right. And that's kind of the end. It, the memo did nothing else than that. Yeah. And our records show that no permits calling for a dwelling unit merger have ever been filed for this site? Well, the original 2014 permit was for the merger. It but was it was filed withdrawn. for it. But, it was, but that one was revised to be just a renovation and not a merger. And then I was, was called out. The planner was very specific <laughs> on the permit to be this is for two units. No merger is permitted. The, the paper trail was, was heavily... Uh, covered to be very clear that it was two units and not a merger. Okay, so so the merger was not then administratively approved with respect to permits? Correct. Okay, and the change in the law that occurred and became effective in 2016 made a grandfathering for, uh, for unit mergers that had received approval from the planning department through administrative approval or the commission through a DR or a conditional use authorization. Correct. Okay. So, but, but there was no administrative approval of a dwelling unit merger. Correct. Okay. And uh, thank you. That's all. Sure. Thank you. Commissioner Trisvenia. Uh, th thank you. Uh, and thank you for your testimony and the materials you provided. Just back on the, on the 2015 uh, zoning administrator action, can you describe what the permit was for? What the application was for? Sure. The original 2014 building permit application was to merge the two units into a single unit. So when it talks about approving, it says you can appeal the zoning administrator's action to by appealing the issuance of the above reference application. That that seems to me that you've granted the application, notwithstanding other things that are in the, uh, uh, in in this this notification so on the specific appeal issue there's a couple of things there one the the language of what's being authorized in the memo says what's being authorized is the waiver from the dr process not the overall approval but the reason that language in there about the appeal gets back to what it means to be administrative approval as you all know sometimes i mean the planning code calls for uh, the zoning administrator to respond in writing to requests for determinations, right? So it's a letter of determination, and those are appealable upon 15 days of issuance of that letter to the Board of Appeals. When we have these administrative decisions from the zoning administrator that are tied to a specific building permit, the zoning administrator's individual calls are not appealable themselves because they're part of the administrative process for the building permit itself. So that language is there to say, listen, if you disagree with this permit on the grounds that the ZA didn't require them to do you know, a mandatory DR, you can't appeal the ZA's decision on that right now. You have to wait till the building permit's issued and then appeal the building permit and have that be one of your arguments. That's the point of that, is that this isn't a separate and independent and discrete zoning administrator determination. It's part of the review process for this building permit and the appeal process is through the building permit appeal. Well, I think we're in, in the action where it says authorizing administrative approval, 
I think what you really mean is authorizing administrative consideration. Sure, and, and you and could say that that language could be better because it's authorizing well, but no, administrative but approval. Don't, it's not granting. Don't, don't just skip yeah. over it, though. Yeah, sure. I mean, you you have people here who have invested a lot of money in a building. We're talking about fraud and a lot of other folks, but this is a confusing document, and for this for these owners who inherited all of this problem, uh, they weren't around in 2015. They weren't they weren't around until much later. For them to see that the application was approved. It says so twice. There's a very good valid basis for them to be uh, making this case today. So I, 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 I caution, uh, I, I, I really would urge looking at the terminology here uh, because it may be a word here or a word there, but I think that there's a real significance to it. Yeah, and I'll take that to heart because I I, think, I agree. I think the, speci the specific language on what's actually being determined could be tweaked. I also think it's fair, though, to read it in the context of the entire memo because then it is very clear what's actually mm -hmm. happening through that memo. Um, but I definitely, you know, um, agree that we can tweak that language to be a little, a little clearer. Okay, thank you. The second area I wanted to ask about is, as I recall, and please correct me, there was a, a complaint filed about this property that there that the it was an illegal merger mm -hmm. can you describe i mean we're, we're we're debating whether that was a legal merger or not but can you describe the harm uh if unlawful mergers are allowed well there's the question of mergers themselves legally like well, why what is the policy by behind restricting those I, mean, I think unlawful mergers are um, have to deal with a lot of the issues that any kind of unlawful action happens, right? I mean, there's a reason we require um, permits and approvals for some of these things. I don't have anyone from DBI here now, but there are different code requirements for a single-family home and two-unit buildings. There may be uh, life safety issues there. Um, but I, I do think that part of the other harm is potential downstream harms, right? Again, I can't speak to the current property owner and what they knew or didn't know when they purchased the home, but it was advertised as a single-family home. If they legitimately thought they were purchasing a single-family home, even though you know, the, the technical record is very clear that it's all two units, this illegal merger is very harmful to them. <laughs> I think they would make the case. Okay. Now, there's a suggestion, I think, from, from the appellants that, there's, that the complaint itself was driven by some animosity somewhere along the line, not unrelated to the city, of course. Um, and problems with mergers, as you described, reduces, also reduces the housing stock and, and, sure. and, and plenty of other plenty of reasons. I, I do want to make, I, I think it's important to underscore why we're doing this and why, why, why the city is saying, because otherwise as well, what difference does it make? It's, it's a wall in your house that came down and what if it had just come down on its own? Or what if it was taken down, but there's no, there's no, uh, no money to put, to put one back up? Someone could say, it's just in my own home. Mm -hmm. There are all these other external harms to this, which I think are, are important to, to mention. Yeah, absolutely. The third area I wanted to ask you about um, is, from the city's perspective, are there two different uh, tax bills 
for 1281 and 1283? Uh, I, I don't know the answer to that, but um, the planning department, you know, we're not involved sure. in taxation and assessment um, and billing for that. So I, that maybe is a question for the, for the appellant. I don't know if they received two separate, if the property owners received two separate tax bills or not. Because I would think if, if the city considers it not merged and it's two places, you'd have as you as you've stated, mm -hmm. then there'd be any ne any number of indications that they were buying either twelve eighty one or twelve eighty three, not both, mm -hmm. and they'd be getting billed. They they would be on notice way way from the beginning that there's two separate pieces of property here, not sure. one single family home. Yeah, and I can't answer the the tax question specifically. I mean, obviously. Two doors with two addresses and lots of other things that come in disclosures, like the 3R report that's going to say it's two units that should be a red flag. But I can't speak for the property owners on that. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Vice President Lopez. Thank you, and thank you for the presentation. I, I was also focused on that second paragraph in the in the CA memo that that Commissioner Chesvinho was. Uh, was focused on, um, you know, based on the plain reading, especially when we have, you know, all caps, bold letters that say authorized administrative approval, and then going further for the uh, building permit application XYZ, proposing the merger of two dwelling units within a two-unit building, comma, resulting in a single-family home, you know, I think an honest addressee of the memo could say, hey, we, we're done, <laughs> you know, we're, we're good. And so you, you said earlier in your, in your presentation that, uh, hey, this isn't how we communicate or document approved mergers. So, so how does that happen? Like, what, do we have any kind of countervailing doc documentation that, that they would have received? Like, hey, you're not, <laughs> you're not there yet or you know you still have further steps to go or would you know someone in the the property owner's position the the property owner at the time in 2015 would would they and their advisors you know presumably if they'd had experience with mergers in the past like what what is actually the actual merger look like if it's not this sure um so a couple of things i I don't have the memo in front of me. I have it on my computer. If you don't mind, I wouldn't mind grabbing it in a second and so I can kind of look at the words with you a little bit. But um, something I want to stress is that, again, there's no indication that the previous property owner even got that memo because we don't use it for that purpose. It's an internal memo that we use for record-keeping purposes. Um, and so we would have communicated through the planner that, oh, yes, you qualify for this. And we're going to process this permit now, which is what we did. You know, it went out for 311 notice. It started, and the 311 notice to the neighborhood said it was a merger from two to one. And then basically right after that started, the laws changed, and they changed their permit and so forth. But um, that memo is not used to communicate to the outside world. <laughs> it's really used as an internal uh, documenting process. Um, I There's nothing in the record to make me... To, to indicate that the prior owner or the current owners ever saw that memo until 
this process. Um, so I, I hope that helps answer that question. I mean, if, you're, if you have a building permit for a project, whatever it is, you're gonna be in communication with your planner, they're gonna process it, and it's gonna go through that process and you're, you're gonna communicate directly with your planner. Um, and then on the specific language, do you mind if I pull it up or I don't know. Uh, if we, I no, think I think okay. that okay. That, that answers your question. That part of the okay. question. But what about the the point about how what would the actual approval look like for for the property owner? Well, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's the permit. Okay. I mean, the building permit. Like, again, even if you get an entitlement, you still have to get a permit. Like the the building permit is the implementation tool for physical changes on your property, um, and that's pretty clear and straightforward. Um, and and that's what they were doing, right? They filed the building permit as that would have gone forward. And it was very clear, like the, you know, there's no question in the record that the prior property owner was told the law changed, it'll be a CU now, and they said, no, thank you, we'll keep it two units, and that's what happened, or that was what was supposed to happen. That, you know, that was the clear process going forward. So there was no expectation at all from the prior property owner no confusion from the city that they actually had some kind of secret authorization to to merge the unit um, that wasn't communicated at all to the prior owner. Well, that just to be clear, that's a, that's an inference that we're making based on the fact that they changed the permit, right? I'm sorry, I didn't quite hear that. The that's an inference that we're making based on the fact that they changed the permit to to drop the merger. Correct. Yeah, right. they because they didn't have to do that. They could have said, "Okay, we're going to file the conditional use authorization, and we're going to go ask the planning commission to approve our merger." They had that choice, and they very clearly chose not to take that path and to abandon the merger. Got it. Yeah. I mean, I think one one might dump the merger for for other reasons as well, but but I think that's sure. That's but you know, reasons aside, in terms of what the prior property owner chose to do and what they move forward with and what the permitting record is very clear on is that state of two unit building. There's no indication of an actual merger being approved or effectuated otherwise in the record. Got it, thanks. Sure. President Swig, or I'm sorry, Commissioner Trisvenia. Okay. No, President Swig, if you wanna go ahead, that's fine. Thanks. <coughs> Some water. Naive question. So uh, the, the so the administrative memo, even though it's internal and nobody ever sees it, it's not it, that 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 in, inferred entitlement. It, it's just like a site permit. Is it? It's just like a site permit versus a a, a building permit. I mean, a site permit mm -hmm. means you can. We're going to give you the opportunity to build this here. And I, know I may be taking it a step back too far because that would be for new construction. But, but what you get in the site permit doesn't really mean anything until you get to the building permit. Is it, am I on a completely I, wrong path and should I just shut up now and not ask the question? Well, I mean, I th I, again, I, I think you're, that analogy makes it way too formal. Okay. Um, I, what I'm saying is under the planning code, we're not required to issue anything relative to this decision. The ZA action memo is purely voluntary. We do it internally to document. The planner could have told the applicant over the phone, hey, we, you, you qualify for this waiver and you don't have to do mandatory DR. And then we just wouldn't do it. We could have emailed them and said, 
you qualify for this waiver, you don't have to do a mandatory DR. Those would have all been totally acceptable under the code. There's nothing in the code that even says we have to notify the property owner that they're you know, eligible for this waiver. Um, so that's why I was saying like this action memo is really purely internal record keeping that we do and need to do better in terms of the wording. But the, the audience is really internal and to have on file in case you know, that permit did go forward, say the law didn't change, and some neighbor was out of town when the 311 happened, and they're unhappy, they didn't get a chance to DR it, and they want to appeal it. And they could say, well, we don't, we don't think it was actually met that threshold. And we could say, well, we did review it. Here's the memo where we called out the specifics. And so as opposed to just having an appeal and be saying, trust us, we did look at that, and we thought it met that requirement. That's the whole purpose of that, of that memo. But the bottom line on all this is you ain't got nothing until you have an approved building permit. So you may have conversation and conversation, conversation. There might be administrative memo. You may be blah, 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 blah. Endless, but until you have that, that permit in hand that says you can, in this case, separate or, or bring together two separate units, you got nothing. And that's the whole point of this, this conversation, right? Sure. I mean, you right. have to, to actually so, legally merge the units. You would need a building permit to do that. Right. So, so all of this stuff, and I, I'm sure appellant's counsel is just seething right now, and we'll hear from him in a couple minutes, but, but really all that stuff about what happened before and what we thought we had or what they, they're sure that they had really doesn't mean anything. You're saying that it really doesn't mean anything. Nothing means anything until you have a pro building permit that says you can do this, and it, it could be anything. A any per building permit for anything, y you could have an entirely different conversation with somebody else well before it, but when, it, when push comes to shove, what you, what you have, what is legal, what you can do is what is written in that building permit and nothing else. Right? I mean, Bottom line? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to be too expansive, but generally speaking, yeah, I mean, if you want to do work on your property, I mean, obviously there's very minor scopes that don't require a permit, like sure. repainting and you know, certain things, you know, you don't need a permit for every single thing, but there are thresholds for which you need a permit, and any scope of work that meets that threshold and you don't get a permit, that's a challenge because the yeah. permit but, being but, issued and completed is important. But some, some, something of significant scope, and I would consider this significant scope. Sure. Everything that I just say, said would apply. Yeah, you have, you have to have the building permit. Yep, okay, thanks. Mr. Trisvenia? Uh, th thank you, President Swig. Um, spec on, back on that action memo. Sure. Um, help me reconcile to this. You, you described it as an internal memo. Memos usually are to somebody from somebody. It's and you've got you got the the, the planner up. The, you, you've got the, the I don't know the architect up there. Somebody up there. Uh, external folks are are listed there. But also at the end, there's a notice saying you can appeal this. Mm -hmm. So if if it's something that can be appealed, they've got to know the action. So they they so. They must have known somehow, either through this memo or some other memo, that the action was taken. Otherwise, they would not have been able to appeal. 
or they wouldn't even they wouldn't know about it. And in the document itself, it says you have the right to appeal mm -hmm. to the board of appeals. So why why wouldn't it be an external document? Sure. And why wouldn't it attach some significance if it's an action that's taken that is appealable to us? Sure. Um, and again, I think this gets into maybe some nuance about it could be worded better because. Just to be clear, it's not designed to never be external. It's not something we won't share or don't share. Um, because I'm not saying we never do send it to anyone and that it can't be discovered, because obviously it can. And that's why that language is there. It's there, again, for internal purposes, but even I think I put it in, the, in, in our um, in my brief, but it's also there for like the project sponsor, if they want a copy, if they need a copy, if members of the public, you know, we get records requests for projects all the time, and we have to disclose documents, et cetera. So there's an understanding that it could be a public-facing document. To your point, though, it's not to anyone. Like, you, the, Z, the memo isn't addressed to, it's just to file. It's not to the applicant, it's well, not to members of the public. The file. What's that? It's copied to the file yeah. separately from and wherever else it's going. Right, it's basically just going straight to the file. Um, and, you know, could we word it better? Absolutely. Um, I mean, that's part of the learning experience from this. Um, I mean, this issue specifically has never come up before in the last 12 years since we've been doing these, but we would take this case to heart to adjust this language for sure, to make sure there's no confusion um, on that issue. And, and just to follow up on President Swig's question to you about it doesn't matter until you have the building permit, couldn't couldn't a merger be achieved without any construction remodeling being done? Well, um, I'd have to think about a scenario where that would happen because typically by definition, dwelling units are separate physically. So if you want to merge them, there has to be some type of physical connection made. Um, I, I mean, I, I don't want to necessarily say there's absolutely no scenario under the sun where a merger could occur without some physical work. I can't think of one off the top of my head. But even without the physical work, changing the number of units or the occupancy of a building requires a building permit. So even if you weren't doing any physical work, just the change of the number of units itself triggers a building permit. Thank you. Sure. Okay, thank you. There are no more questions. Okay. Okay, we will are now moving on to public comment. Is there anyone here to provide public comment? Do I get a rebuttal? Yes, you do. We're just on public comment right now. Um, and if there's no public comment, we will move on to rebuttal. Okay, so I don't see any hands raised, so we're moving on to rebuttal. So, Mr. Merritt, you have three minutes. Thank you, sorry for jumping the gun there. No problem. Um, I wanna focus on this idea that there was not an approval. I don't think that that is a supportable or defensible idea. I don't think that the Superior Court would agree with that in any way, it's just not legally defensible. If you look at the action memo, on its face, it says it's an action memo. That means an action was taken. And then it's several places in the memo, including the first sentence under findings, it says the zoning administrator took the action described above. In the action section of the memo, it says in all caps, the action taken is to authorize administrative approval of the dwelling unit merger. And then at the end of the memo, uh, it says you can appeal the action. So I don't understand how you could in good faith read this as anything other than an approval action. That's exactly what it says. 
There's also no evidence in the record that this wasn't distributed. If you look at the header of the memo, it looks like it went to the project sponsor, the property owner, and the staff contact. And then if you look at the last page of the memo, it was carbon copied to the file. It doesn't mean it was just sent to the file. I don't think there's any evidence in the record to the contrary on that, at least not that I've seen. Um, you know, the zoning administrator also says that the planning code doesn't provide for an approval, that this is only like a waiver of a hearing requirement. That's simply false. And I would direct you to exhibit six of our brief, um, section 317, the then applicable version. It expressly provides for administrative approval. Um, it just says that in, in plain language. It says there are three paths by which you can get a residential dwelling uh, merger approved. One is you can get a conditional use authorization. Two, the planning commission can approve at a mandatory DR hearing. Or three, the project can qualify for administrative approval and the planning department approves the project administratively. It specifically calls for administrative approval. And then when you look at the retroactivity provision under the current version of the planning code, the one that's on the books right now, it also speaks to administrative approval. It says, quote, the removal of a residential unit that has received approval from the planning department through administrative approval prior to the effective date is not required to apply for an additional CU approval. The planning department grants an administrative approval and nothing, nowhere, anywhere in the code does it say you have to get a building permit in addition to the planning department approval to effectuate the entitlement. Um, Corey has said that multiple times in the seconds. brief and at the hearing, but he has not cited a provision of the code that says that, and that's because there is no provision of the code that says that. I understand that that's the planning department's internal practice, but it's contrary to the code, and it's not going to be defensible in Superior Court. Um, and there's also no response to that retroactivity provision. What does that provision mean um, if, if, it, if, it, if it's grandfathered in, if you don't have to go back and get a new approval? And then beyond that, a dwelling unit merger isn't just any old approval. It's a discretionary entitlement. Okay. Under the code, Mr. Merritt, thank you. Your time is up. But we do have a few questions from Commissioner Epler and President Swig. Um, you might like to so, um, thank you. Uh, what does administrative approval mean to you? I mean, what, what does that look like? What, what is that from a process basis? Sorry, you're muted. You're muted. I don't, I don't want to be sure how that happened. I think in California land use law, there are really two classes of approval. There's approval that goes to a public hearing, like to the planning commission or to the board of supervisors. And then there's administrative approval, which doesn't go to those decision makers or high officials. It's approved at the staff level. So administrative approval means it's approved at the staff level, in this case, by the zoning administrator. It could be by the planning director. Or, or in this case, by the planner on the project who is, you know, perhaps looking at permits or another process that is purely administrative in nature, but uh, and not requiring commission approval or discretionary use or, or, or discretionary review or conditional use or any of those other processes, right? That's correct. I think a planner could do it. In my, in my experience in land use law, the planner almost the staff planner almost never does it. It's, it's elevated to a planning manager or a planning director or to the zoning administrator, particularly when it's a consequential approval. So, so uh, the reason I ask is because we, we now acknowledge that administrative approval is, is a process, right? And, 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 and if uh, I think you said that when you were reading the code that you had to qualify 
for administrative approval, right? It's not an automatic thing. It's not three equal pathways to get approval. There's uh, conditional use, uh, discretionary review, and if you qualify, you get administrative approval, right? Exactly. Okay. So going back to the action memo, which, which we spent a lot of time on, we have these, these all caps words. And the first one is a verb, and that verb is authorized. What does authorized mean? In, in my view, authorized means he granted the administrative approval. No, 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 no. So, no, no. So, but, but we have three words there. Authorized is the verb, right? And then when you have a verb, you usually have an object. And I think those other two words, administrative approval, are the object. The thing that's authorized is administrative approval. We're talking about an approval process. I would expect if we were approving something, like a dwelling unit merger, we would approve that instead of authorizing the approval through a mechanism that we've already said is a process, right? I mean, no, I, I think that's, that's wrong. If you look at the planning code, it refers to administrative approval. That's the name of the approval. And so this is saying the administrative approval has been authorized. It's not, it's not authorizing some further consideration of the administrative approval. And the best evidence of that is the finding section, right? This isn't just a, a normal administrative approval. It's a discretionary entitlement. There are discretionary factors that the ZA had to consider. He had to evaluate them. He had to take evidence. He accepted uh, appraisals that he requested from the applicant. Then he made findings, and then he states on the face of the document that he's issuing an approval and that it's appealable. Um, so I, I think there's no question that this is this is an administrative approval. It, it says it on its face, and it's consistent with what the code says. I don't think there's any reasonable reading to the contrary, frankly. Except that it authorizes the process because you have to make findings in order for the process to be able to attach. I'll ask uh, Mr. Teague about the zoning administrator's role in this in a moment. Thank you. Thank you. President Swig? Um, so I'm going to go back um, one, more, one more time to uh, the, the missing wall. Um, I bought one or two houses in my life, actually about three. Um, and, uh, and what you do is you go through a due diligence and inspection process, and you hire professionals. And when you're at that level where you're spending the amount of money spent on this home, uh, you certainly can afford really good inspection, a really good inspection process, and I hope you get it. And you have very good professionals like yourself to look at legal issues. And, um, and, uh, I, and, and, uh, and I, I know it might shock you that Sometimes real estate brokers do misrepresent what they're selling, uh, but it's happened before. And uh, so, so it, when there are two doors, entry doors, two addresses, two entry doors, two kitchens, uh, wouldn't that kind of raise a question about where did this all come from to just the, you know, a basic inspection? And uh, and I, and also, um, you know, my my brilliant cohort here, uh, who brought up the fact that the, on the the calendar, that um, the 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 timeline is not something that was an extenuated timeline. Boy, this happened fast. This 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 plan came up. Uh, sorry, this offering came up really quickly. Uh, after the completion of the construction, and so it was, it was pretty fresh meat. So 
uh, you know, it's not like the last renovation happened 50 years before. Uh, what I, I, what am I, what am I missing here? That either something uh, that that something wasn't missed, or that your clients may have looked the other way, or whatever. And then a follow-up question is going to be also a, a great question asked by one of my fellow commissioners. Um, do you know how many tax bills there are that are presented to your clients? Uh, did they do Did they do an analysis of the tax bills? I mean, they when they bought the when I bought a house. You kind of discuss what what you owe on the tax bills, right? If you buy a house in the middle of the summer, uh, you got to pay your pro rata of the second tax bill. And what about those tax bills? And were there, were there two or were there one? So these are the things that that just don't fly with uh, the whole clarity that this was an entitled or permitted single family home. Can you elaborate on that, please? Sure. Well, to your first question, there is one tax bill for the property. I looked that up on the assessor's website while we we're having this hearing. Um, so I assume you can take notice of that or we can put it into the record. Mm -hmm. But there's one tax bill for 1281 to 1283 Greenwich. Um, as to the diligence, I mean, they did do their due diligence. They got the disclosure packet. They looked through it. Um, I don't know if they had an obligation to go back and review all of the building permit records to discover this issue. I mean, I know when I bought my house, I did not go back and look through all of the building permit records. Um, but that's kind of beside the point. The question that we've presented is a legal question, whether the 2015 approval is valid or not. Um, and I think, you know, if they could have done better due diligence or if they didn't do the diligence correctly, that's not relevant to the appeal that we've made. Thank you. Mr. Trevenier? Thank you, thank you, President Swig. Um, just on the on since I did ask about the tax bills, if if there is one coming from the city, is that consistent with a single family home? I, I frankly don't think it matters one way or another. It means there's one parcel, there's one assessor parcel, and so that one parcel of property is assessed by the tax assessor. The question of how many units are on the property, I think, is is a separate question. Just to be totally honest about it. So, so you wouldn't you wouldn't assume that when it was twelve eighty one, Greenwich and twelve eighty three Greenwich, there would have been more than one. Well, no, I mean, it's, I, I don't know. Um, it seems like when, I don't know how, I don't know the history before this renovation, but at some point there were two units. It seems that there were two units on the same lot. It seems like the lot was not subdivided. That That's my best guess. I haven't looked into the history on that. And on the, on the zoning administrator action memo. Yeah. My colleague, Commissioner Epler, walked you through the words of the action section. At the very end, it says, resulting in a single family home. Yeah. Do you put any weight on those words to describe what the action was taken by the memo? Sure. I mean, as I say, it's very clear from the face of this document that this is an approval of the merger to create a single family home. And all of the terminology that's used in this memo tracks with the language in the planning code, which speaks to this administrative approval. Uh, this wasn't an approval to continue some process or go forward with the building permit. It's nothing in the code about that at all. What the code says is you can get an administrative approval for merger. And this document says, here's your administrative approval of the merger. 
Thank you. And this idea about the distinction between an entitlement and a building permit is, I think, a very important one. This idea that the approval doesn't mean anything until you get a building permit, that's not consistent, I think, with basic principles of land use law. If you get a discretionary entitlement like a CU authorization or a variance, that doesn't mean you don't have anything until you get the final building permit. Those are separate approvals. They have their own finality date. They have their own appeal periods. And, and as in this case, once you get that approval and you spend money and reliance on it, then under California common law principles, we cited the cases in our brief, you have a vested property right. And that's the situation that the appellants are in now. They have a vested property right to a single family home. The, the courts have been very clear on this point. Uh, the attorney, please. Council didn't submit the tax property bill as part of his papers. Presumably he would have had it supported his position. Uh, I would just like to clarify for the board that when you do look up the property on the assessor's website, um, it shows 1281-1283 Greenwich Street. Um, it shows a use type of flats and duplex, and it shows units too. Um, so I would want the board to have the full information on that. Again, I, it hasn't been submitted as part of the papers. Right. So what you're, what, what, what you're saying, and I realize this after I ask the question, which is why I like to ask dumb questions because then it helps me clarify that they're dumb questions. This was a rental property. So, of course, it, it had two, two units under one. one uh, there was a single tax bill, yes. But right. what? Council neglected to mention is that it discloses or it states two units at least on the assessor's website. Right. So it is. I, I don't see that in what I'm looking at. I wasn't trying to conceal anything. I'm happy to submit this PDF into the record. Yeah. Thank you. For, thank you for allowing me my clarification of being stupid by by realizing that if you have two two apartments, you don't get two separate uh, uh, tax bill. And thank you for your clarification that in fact it is two units because they were rented clearly and that's on the record. So I appreciate that. Uh, I'll allow Mr. L uh, Commissioner Lumbert, please, sorry. Thank you. Um, I also don't think this question is dispositive, but I think it'll be helpful for us. And I'm gonna address it to either Ms. Huber or Mr. Teague, depending on who knows the answer. Um, I'm looking at the 2015 uh, action memo that we've been talking about all evening. At the bottom it says, uh, you can appeal the zoning administrator's action to the Board of Appeals by appealing the issuance of the above referenced building permit application. To my understanding, when somebody submits a building permit application, that comes with its own appeal period kind of naturally, and we obviously hear those appeals regularly um, to building permit applications. Is my reading correct that when a, an action memo such as this one is issued, um, it kind of just resets the appeal period for the, because it very specifically says you would, they would appeal the issuance of the building permit application, not the action memo itself. Does it kind of, in effect, then reset the appeal period for the building permit application, or is it some other type of time period for an appeal? Would you like to ask that? after Mr. Teague completes his rebuttal, or would you like to ask it as part of rebuttal? I'm sorry, you're right. I didn't realize where we were. Yeah. I was just building it's off of what's been a great thing, question, but, <laughs> but I thought I'd, I'd slot it into the, the appropriate I, I, spot. I table that question until after Thank Mr. You. Teague rebuts. Thank you. Any other, any other further questions related to the rebuttal of the appellant? Okay, we will now hear from the zoning administrator. 
Okay, thank you again, Corey Teague, Zoning Administrator. Um, I think it may be helpful just to look at the actual code language that is the basis for the action memo. Overhead. Can you zoom it out a word. little bit or? Thank you, gonna have to have, hold this flat. Okay. Okay, so it's a subsection three here, which says administrative review criteria shall ensure that only those residential units proposed for merger that are demonstrably not affordable or financially accessible housing are exempt from mandatory discretionary review hearings. And it gets into how you do that. Um, and then it says, uh, if you meet these criteria as determined by a credible appraisal made within six months, you're not subject to mandatory discretionary review hearing. So that's the, the zoning action memo is basically just saying you meet this. <laughs> so you don't have to do the mandatory DR. That's the 100% purpose of it. Um, really nothing more. Again, it's not even required to be the ZA. Um, it's definitely not a separate authorization of the merger itself. It is simply just um, an authorization to go down the administrative path and not the entitlement path through the, through the planning commission. Um, so I think it was just helpful to see that language. Again, we'll go back, we'll work on the language of that memo so we can be super clear on that. Again, this issue has just really never come up before. Um, but again, it, there's nothing in the record that shows any indication that the property owner at that time um, saw this memo. They may have. You know, there was no records in the uh, email file from the planner that they had sent it to them. They may have seen it, but there's definitely no indication that they thought they had authorization for um, the merger. Additionally, even under the code, the zoning administrator wouldn't have the ability to just grant approval of that merger. There is the building permit process. The planning commission and the department has discretion over that permit. Um, so the ZA wouldn't have had the ability to just grant this overarching authorization for the merger without the need to actually effectuate that through the issuance and completion of a building permit. I couldn't kind of usurp and override the discretion that the seconds. planning commission and the department has um, on that. Um, but even if there was a consideration that this ZA action memo was still valid in some way, again, like it wouldn't change the fact that as we sit today, even if they could use it today to move forward, there's no building permit on file, let alone issued and completed to merge the units, which is the state that it exists today. So it is not a legal state as it exists today. And I'm available Thank for you. any other questions okay. you may have, I assume at least one question. <laughs> President Swig, then Commissioner Lemberg. So appellant counsel, as I'm, I'm not going to get, I'm not going to be able to quote him, I'm going to be able to paraphrase him, uh, has uh, repeatedly stated the spirit of a land use law, uh, it would indicate there was an entitlement that allowed this even before uh, the, the permit was issued. It's just a natural, my interpretation, a natural flow that this this memo and it would create an entitlement and the in the spirit of land use law, um, it would be naturally move right into the permit and be continued as part of the permit. 
what is your view on that that overarching land use spirit of overall arching land use law sure. and its relationship to future permits? Sure. I mean, I would say that, as you know, the appellant has made some very specific legal claims. Um, you know, as we've talked about, I don't interpret state law. This board isn't, you know, a, a California uh, superior court. Um, those, there's a venue for those to be um, heard and adjudicated if, if that's the, where it goes. We're just looking at what the planning code and you know the municipal code says and how that is implemented and interpreted. Um, the appellant is correct that entitlements grant you rights, right? Um, and it's not a situation that you know that without the building permit you have no rights. I mean, the whole point of the entitlement is that it grants you rights into the future, but they're not universal and they're not forever, right? There are parameters around that, um, including the fact that you actually have to implement the entitlement. And typically the entitlement includes performance periods and thresholds and benchmarks you have to meet to move forward with that entitlement. Um, so it's kind of both, but the bottom line is whether a project required an entitlement or not, the building permit to merge a unit is 100% necessary. Um, whether it was done to implement an entitlement that had been granted previously or not, if you're going to merge units under the, you know, under the planning code and the building code, that requires a building permit that very clearly says we're going from two units to one unit. Um, that is not in question. Um, so I hope that answers your question. Commissioner Lumberg? Do you need me to repeat my question or are we good? Um, um, I. Do you mind repeating it? Sorry. Not at all. Um, I took a quick note, but so not enough. So from the action memo from 2015, it says you can appeal the zoning administrator's mm. action okay. to the Board of Appeals by appealing the issuance of the above-referenced building permit application. So my question was, um, is the creation of this action memo an extension of the appeal period for the building permit itself, or is it the creation of a new appeal period that just happens to also reference the building permit itself. Thank you, and that's a great question, and this is another place where we'll be amending this lang language because the language says you can appeal this determination this way. It really should say you can't appeal this determination independently. <laughs> what that is saying is that this determination is being made part, being made as part of the building permit review. So if, if you are in disagreement with this part of the building permit review, you have to appeal the building permit doesn't change any of the appeal timelines. It just piggybacks off of the standard appeal for the building permit. And if, if you don't mind, it's like an analogy. You know, there, we get situations all the time where planners bring projects to the zoning administrator and they're like, I can't tell if this project meets the rear yard requirement. Maybe it's a, a funky layout or something. And we have to make a call. We have to say, yes, this project meets the rear yard. Um, and we don't necessarily document those. I mean, those calls happen every day. Um, but that permit may get issued, and a neighbor may say, I don't think this project meets the real yard requirement. I'm going to appeal it. And that's the basis of the appeal, right, is that we don't think it meets the real yard. Well, the zoning administrator has already made a call, and that ZA call wasn't separately appealable. This is exactly the same thing. We just actually document it <laughs> for this purpose, and we do this for some certain other types of ZA calls that are called out in the code that are done as part of the building permit process. 
but in effect, it's the exact same process. It's just a call that's made um, in the service of reviewing a building permit. I guess follow up to that then. I, what what is the appeal period for when a building permit is uh, is uh, once it's issued? issued? Sure. So, um, I always get ten and fifteen days. It's generally 15. fifteen days. Okay. Certain right. circumstances. So, yeah. so this building permit was issued on October seventeenth, twenty fourteen, and the action memo wasn't until May twenty first of the following year, which is about. Eight, seven months no, I different. think it was filed in 2014. Right. So and then it wouldn't was issued the later. appeal period for the building permit itself have expired well before the action memo? No, because the appeal period is once the permit is issued. So this was the 2014 permit, the main permit, was it was first filed and submitted October 17, 2014. The action memo, memo was May of 2015. And then this permit was issued later uh when was it issued it wouldn't right. be issued without the approval so. that's right yeah, okay yeah, yeah. i i it, was, it does say submitted not issued so that right. makes sense yeah. okay and and so these types of action memos are necessarily done before the building permit is issued absolutely okay yeah because again they're part of the planning department's review process and and I think that's important to call out is that what is an approval? What is an administrative approval? It's the planning department's approval of the building permit. Like if you look at a building permit, the zoning administrator is not, you know, the department approves the permits. Um, it's not a zoning administrator approval, but we don't you know, sign off on permits unless they meet requirements. And so sometimes these are part of the review that's necessary to determine, yes, it meets all the requirement in order for us to be able to approve it administratively. Thank you. So the attorney would like to speak? I mean, I think this is all theoretical because there wasn't an appeal and we have to sort of take those as, as they come. Um, this may be an area where my view differs from um, Mr. Teague's. Uh, I do think there are grounds to bring an appeal to the Board of Appeals when there is an alleged error or abuse of discretion by the zoning administrator um, in the interpretation of an ordinance. So I don't know why there is a reference here to a building permit. It may be stock language that was pulled from some other planning documents. Okay. Um, again, it's, it's totally theoretical, um, but I think there could be an argument that there is a 15-day period if, for example, the zoning administrator had denied the merger um, the, you know, the, the property owner potentially could have come to the board and, and maybe at that point, Mr. Teague and I would have a difference of views about whether there is grounds to appeal. But, you know, I, I think there could be a difference of views on that point and I just wanted to make that clear. And then would, can I respond to that? Just if, for clarification, is that a? Please. Uh, through the, yeah. Through the chair. Um, so this is an important distinction because if you look at the code in 307, it says that if, you know, that when there is a request to make an interpretation of the code, the zoning administrator must respond in writing, and that determination is appealable, you know, um, error or abuse of discretion, and that's, that trigger is very specific to those determinations. Again, the zoning administrator makes determinations based on individual permit review multiple times every day <laughs> that are not documented at all. 
Um, and the reason that language is in there is because it's, it's designed to be very purposeful that way, which is these are just part of the building review process, building permit review process, and the appropriate appeal of that entire process is to appeal the building permit, um, whatever your grounds may be, and that the ZA calls um, that are documented in these action memos are very specifically structured to be part of the building permit and not a separate written determination upon request. Now, of course, if someone would have said, let's say this project goes out to 311, right? And a neighbor says they should have done a mandatory DR. We don't think they actually qualify for that. We're gonna request the ZA put that in writing and then we're gonna appeal that. And people do that. I mean, that's, and that would be the process to have a written determination from the zoning administrator interpreting the code that is then appealable um, to the board. So that, that is the distinction. I mean, understandably, the kind of from the outside looking in, you're not working on it every day, it could be like, well, it doesn't seem like a huge distinction, but I, I, I can assure you that it's like designed to very much function that way and be very separate. I just wanted to add in my experiences process, in processing appeals, this is somewhat analogous to the discretionary review process. They, uh, the, planning, uh, the planning commission would issue a discretionary review memo, and that's not appealable. What's appealable is any permit that's been issued or denied pursuant to that memo. And in this case, if they decided not to go ahead with the merger, they would have denied the building permit, which would have triggered the appeal. And thank you. That's a perfect analogy because okay. that's a DR action memo from the planning commission that's not independently appealable. It's kind of the same thing. It's an action on the permit. You appeal either the granting or the denial of the permit. That's why you don't, otherwise you would receive like DR appeals all the time, right? Which you don't because you can't do that. I, I appreciate the deep dive on this. Thank you. Sure. I'm not kicking myself that I didn't put that analogy in my brief. So and, President Swig. And diving a little deeper, I want to give the benefit of the doubt uh, or at least an investigation of the uh, the tax bill. Um, city attorney just read to us that upon looking at the tax bill that it still reflects a two-unit building. Um, the transaction, remind me, the transaction to purchase this building occurred in 2020 or was it 2019? January of 2020. January of 2020. Let's see, 2020. Let's go back to the timeline here. Right. Uh, yeah, January 10th, 2020 is when the purchase happened right. with current owners so um, how f how fast if this indeed was a legal one unit building and again let's let's look at the timeline created by uh, my my esteemed commissioner cohort who's who said that this the CFC was issued in November of 2019 how long, what's the, what's the process that when a CFC is issued and, and, and the tax bill gets a new description on it? Sure. Um, How does that happen? What is the expected timeline on that? Sure. And wouldn't it not be today is June 2023, a, a, a solid three and a, and a half, almost half years 
later, but if you go into 2019, was the issuance of the CS yeah, three and a half years, yeah. three and a half years later, wouldn't it be changed by this time, and or would it should it have been changed the moment that the CFC was issued? Give me an education sure. on that, please. Um, well, I definitely cannot educate you. I'm out of my depth okay. when we're talking about this. I can't. What I can tell you is that it's my understanding that there is a process where the uh, tax collector and, and the assessor recorder uses building permit information and CFC information to help inform their assessment and the number of legal units. Um, I'm not fully up to speed on all of their methods or timelines and how that exactly works. I mean, I can obviously agree with you that it's been X years since whatever date you want to pick and the tax bill still says there's two units. Um, I would assume that, you know, if there was a, a standard process to go from two to one, that that would have changed by now. But again, I'm by no means an expert on on um, how the uh, assessor recorder or the tax collector kind of processes that information. Yeah, I'm, I was just using common sense, which would indicate the city city sometimes a little slow uh, in processing administrative stuff, but it would seem that that maybe almost 40 years later that uh, the, the records would be complete, especially in the, you know, in a with a tax bill situation. You know, does, uh, in, in anything, what would be the expectation of a updating r records subsequent to a, a, a new construction where there's a, uh, this is a better question actually, um, what would you be your expectation that city records would be updated to reflect a major change in the structure from a, a two unit to a one unit if it were approved, or or any major change whatsoever, uh, so that the the description of the uh, of what that building is 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 current. Yeah, unfortunately, again, it's going to be hard for me to answer that. If if we had a DBI representative, they could maybe speak to when and under what circumstances. You know, like a three R report, which is the report of a residential record. Um, if and when those are automatically produced and updated after a CFC and a change in unit count. Um, obviously, those are always produced upon sale of a property. Um, and same thing for tax collector. I'm not sure. I, I just don't know what the standard turnaround time is for those, you know, that those records to be updated. I'm sorry. Okay. Thanks. Okay, thank you. No further questions. So, commissioners, this matter is submitted. And as a reminder, the standard of review is error or abuse of discretion. Might as well start with Commissioner Lopez. And for no particular reason other than you're at the other end and I'm not. <laughs> sure. Uh, thank you. I, I'm inclined to uh, deny the appeal. I know that... Um, that we've had, uh, I think, some some reasonable uh, questions about the the wording of the memo, uh, but it is you know one piece of of evidence among others that that in my mind are uh, countervailing and that contribute to the conclusion that the. Uh, the NOV and and and, and the complaint, uh, you know, are are what uh, should rule the day here. Uh, we don't have we don't have a final permit, you know, 
even if there was the potential for some ambiguity uh, based on uh, some of the phrasing in the 2015 memo itself. Uh, and so, you know, altogether, I'm inclined to, to deny the appeal. Commissioner Trezvino. I, I agree with uh, Vice President Lopez, and I think the, uh, particularly the comments um, by the zoning administrator in his rebuttal were very, very helpful in trying to bring all of these different aspects together, uh, because there's a lot of uh, reasonable frustration on the part of the uh, appellants. Uh, whether that frustration is solely based on the 20, their reading of the 2015 action memo, with, with they were they just picked up. They were not part of any any of any of that uh, uh, debate or proceeding, or whether that frustration ought to be placed upon uh, the various people involved in the real estate transaction when they bought um, the property. Uh, that I think is there. There are other forums for for that, uh, but I, but I do appreciate the zoning administrators' uh, review of the action memo and opportunities for there to be much better communication on the part of the department on 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 the terms and 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 the purpose of the of, of the action memo I was a little bit confused by a description of it as an internal memo but then also describing uh, the the rights of the of the uh, property owner to, to to appeal and then the final description of it is here's your here's your right to appeal but it really is not a right right to appeal it's 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 telling you that you can't appeal until later so there are opportunities for the city to address these concerns and again for the benefit of members of the public uh, to be able to have uh, early and correct information. So I, I appreciate the zoning administrator's commitment to that, uh, but in terms of this uh, matter before us, I, I, I agree with his analysis and, and Commissioner Lopez's comments and I would deny the appeal. Commissioner Lindbergh? Uh, I I also support denial of this appeal. I, I think I've talked enough otherwise. So I will pass it to Commissioner Appler. Wrong button, sorry. Um, thank you. I, I also um, support the denial of the appeal. I think I've been relatively clear. My, my reading of the zoning administrator's memo was uh, a, somehow perhaps perhaps ignorantly more straightforward perhaps um you know even even the portion describing proposing the merger of a two-unit building uh, resulting in a single family home to me that's describing what the permit is for that is currently being discussed and you know we see that in legal writing all the time where we talk about something and then say what it does even though it has no real pertinence to the actual sentence in, in the meaning of the sentence, and so I see that see that in this case, um, I do have sympathy for for the homeowners. Certainly, um, I, I do think that, uh, as has been mentioned, there is potential recourse uh, through the the civil courts. Um, but I think that you know we were not here to um, consider, as it perhaps was stated in the brief, whether or not the approval of the dwelling merger was. Um, you know, no longer valid. I think what we were debating is whether there was approval at all, at all, and I don't think that we found it today. Thank you. Um, so I, I agree. It's it's interesting to be on a panel with with four lawyers who actually can dissect a a paragraph in in forty seven different ways and and are much smarter than I in that. Um, I I I support their position. Um, 
Yeah, but first and foremost, I'd like to extend the, the, you know, the, the sympathy to uh, the homeowner uh, who uh, un unfortunately uh, is going to suffer, has suffered, and will probably will consider continue to suffer duress as opposed as uh, according to their situation right now uh, owning what they think is something and what is probably going to be recognized as something else as a result of tonight. Um, that's a drag. That's an understatement. But that's very, very sad. And I, and I, I don't think that anybody on this panel uh, takes this lightly or in a cavalier atmosphere. And I want to communicate um, that to the appellant. Um, looking at a more layman's point of view and also with some experience sitting on this panel, um, uh, I, I look at other evidence. I look at the tax bill. I look at uh, pl plans that don't exist with, um, without a wall. I, I look at two entrances, two kitchens, um, and I look at two addresses. And I look at absolutely no evidence that, that legitimizes uh, conversion of legitimizes supports or give that gives evidence that that there was ever a proper conversion of two new units into one. I mean, it's just not there anywhere. And I'm really sorry again uh, to the appellants, but I can't support your appeal. Um, may I have a motion from somebody, please? Uh, one moment. Oh. Just just before. Um, the hearing concludes. Again, I don't think it's a material point at all. When I was describing what I saw on the assessor's website, it was a summary of the property, not the actual tax bill. Again, I don't think it is really all that relevant. It is one piece of many pieces of information that refer to two units, but I want to make sure that the record is very clear that what I was viewing was a summary from the assessor. I have not seen the actual tax bill. I understand that um, council has requested that Ms. Rosenberg include the actual tax bill as part of the record. Um, again, I think there are many pieces of information, so I don't, I don't know that there's any issue with that. That would be for the board to decide if it would like to accept it. Uh, and, and for the record, what council has expressed, he sent an email to us that it doesn't state that there are two units. I have no reason to contest that. I was looking at a summary from the assessor. I, I think that if it was, since it was a subject that was brought up, uh, fully discussed, and uh, certainly a consideration in, in our discussion, although I don't consider it a key uh, piece of the puzzle, um, I wouldn't have any objections into including the, the tax bill as part of the record because it was discussed. And as for myself, uh, again, that tax bill, uh, there was not, I'm just saying that there wasn't a tax bill that said a single, uh, a one unit residency. Uh, I mean, there's nothing that I, that, yeah, uh, my point is, I haven't seen anything in support of strongly in support of the position that this is anything but a, a two-unit building. Um, and it would have been nice if the tax bill said one unit. That would have been uh, a solid point of view for the, uh, the appellant. But 
we didn't see that either. So amongst other things. So uh, I have no objection of, of putting it in. And if any of my fellow commissioners would like to make that point, because you're the lawyers, you actually know what you're talking about, go right ahead, Commissioner Trezvina. Well, President, Sir, I, I am concerned enough to at least uh, suggest an objection. I'm concerned that we've heard the testimony, we've heard descriptions from, from counsel, certainly, certainly from, from uh, our city attorney. I'm reluctant to have anything in the record that we don't have access to and we did not actually consider. We did consider the descriptions. That's part of the record, uh, but I don't, I don't think it's proper to have so it's like document in the it's record. It's like hearsay, unless it was presented in the, the actual okay. materials you're saying, we haven't seen it, it's hearsay from, from the city attorney who looked it up but didn't see the, the full document. It's hearsay from the, the, the appellant's lawyer who was looking at potentially partial information as well, correct? I'm, 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 I'm fully supportive of their, of their statements being in the record, uh, but not the actual documents since we don't have it. I'll take, I'll, I would take that advice and re reverse myself if uh, there's, there's likewise support from the other commissioners. Is there that support? Not to include? No. Okay, lawyers win. <laughs> So not, not to include it, but to absolutely, for the record, mention that the tax bill ha had full discussion, but without proper, um, or not full disclosure. Is that okay with you? Uh, I, I haven't seen the, the tax bill, but it wasn't submitted as it part of the record. I included my comments. I was looking at something else. This is probably precisely why we need to have a complete record prior to the hearing. and it. Yes. Okay, so we won't <laughs> include the tax, we won't bring the tax bill into this, into the, into the, the, the documentation because it wasn't presented formally in the, uh, in any submission. How's that? Okay. Sorry about that. Um, so, uh, so, your motion. I move to deny the appeal on the basis that the zoning administrator neither erred nor abused his discretion in issuing the notice of violation and penalty decision. Okay. Uh, okay, we have a motion from Commissioner Lemmer to deny the appeal and uphold the NOV on the basis that the zoning administrator did not err or abuse his discretion in issuing it. On that motion, Vice President Lopez. Aye. Commissioner Trezvina. Aye. Commissioner Epler. Aye. President Swig. Aye. So that motion carries five to zero and the appeal is denied. And that concludes the hearing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.